Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Hello and welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. We're back for another big Aston Villa conversation, including a look at look back at yesterday's Fulham match, as well as mentions for Esri Concer and of course the lesser spotted Jack Grealish. I'm Andy and joining me today are Craig and Dan. Hello everyone, uh, great to be back this week discussing my first ever Aston Villa win, I think, on this podcast, so delighted you can uh, find me on Twitter at Craig Storrid and send your um, hate <laughs> tweets to me and let me know all the things that I say that are wrong. I'm, uh, I, I love to hear from you. Hey everyone, it's Dan here. Uh, good to be back, gents. It's been a couple of weeks because I've been transplanting myself across the Atlantic, so this is my first time podcasting from Blighty. Uh, and it's perfect time to be back, so I can argue with Craig about Trezeguet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Before, I mean, before we get into the the, the Fulham game, um, it was good news on Good Friday as the club announced a new long term contract for Villa defender Esri Konza, one of Villa's most improved players and certainly a bright spark of the season. And he probably has the ability to go on, hopefully to be one of the best centre-halves in the country in future years. This felt like another coup and a, a big sort of statement for the club. Um, what, what, what did you guys, you guys, how did you guys react to this when you saw this on Friday? Uh, absolutely delighted. Obviously, I think there had been um, some speculation linking Konza with moves to both Tottenham and Liverpool. And I think that speaks to his improvement. Obviously, this is someone who we signed... Uh, really cheaply, actually, in retrospect, for £12 million from Brentford. Um, he was behind Bjorn Engels last year, as we spoke about on last week's podcast. And then after Project Restart, he pops up as a makeshift right-back and just has turned into this Rolls-Royce of a defender. Uh, he eventually moves back into his favoured um, uh, right-centre-back position alongside Tyrone Mings. And I think that his improvement has been absolutely incredible. And his consistency he is playing at seven or eight out of ten every single week um i was interested to watch the interview that um Konza did with villa with the uh, villa tv and in the interview he actually name checked mings um telling telling us how mings is th- the leader and how mings has been talking Konza through games and how mings is demanding that Konza becomes more vocal, which is another thing that I've seen from Konza. I've seen a few times this season, Elmo and Cash, who are playing beside him. Elmo, uh, uh, Konza has not hesitated to bore them out and, and shout at them and give them a good rollicking if they're not doing exactly what he wants. Um, you know, he's he's silky on the ball. I think he's really, he plays it safe. He doesn't try anything beyond his kind of um, skill set. I think that Mings is the 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 player who loses possession more because Mings is asked to play the more progressive passes. Um, 
Conza rarely plays to anyone other than Cash or Mings or maybe Douglas Louise right in front of him. So he keeps it simple. Um, his recovery pace is, is incredible. And um, what a future this guy has, has got coming up ahead of him. And although this Euros looks to have come a little bit too soon, I think that the World Cup next year certainly could have Conza's name all over it for England. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd echo Craig there. I think we spoke last time I was on about whether Conza was going to get a call up for England. And I think when we spoke then, we said we want to see him locked down to a long-term contract. And I think and Craig's covered off all of the good things Conza does, but I think it's a good sign of what the club does well too. This is, you know, off the field, we've been quietly locking up our best players to long-term contracts, spotting the young potential, rewarding them for good performances. And it just struck me as a far cry from, from the darker days when the club was under worse leadership. It just feels like we've got our ducks in a row now and we're, we're, we're spotting talent, we're rewarding talent when they're performing well and we're tying them up to long contracts so that, so that the other big boys don't swoop in and get them on the cheap anymore. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with all that and just the fact that you know we have um, he has been linked with, with, with big clubs, top six clubs. Um, Liverpool and, and and Spurs and I'm sure other clubs were, were looking at him as well. Um, and in years gone by, we we don't we don't get him tied down. You know, he either sees out another year of this contract and 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 goes for next to nothing, or or or, or we sell him in the summer normally to to one of these clubs that that come calling because we haven't got the um, the, the you know the club isn't in a position to offer him any kind of certainty that meets his own ambitions and but we 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 do have that now we have that that we can say with certainty or a degree of certainty um that 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 the club is on the up and 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 looking to 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 be at the top you know and to be one of the top the top teams so if he wants to play for a top club he only needs to stay where he is really um so it's it's good to see and you know just 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 a word on mings we'll talk about mings um, in regards to the Fulham game in a bit, but um, you know, I did I did a I did a piece about Mings a few weeks ago, and and kind of made this point that I think, you know, he can take some credit for the improvement of of guys around him in this team, particularly Konza and and Matt Target. You know the way the way he does kind of orchestrate that defence, and you know we'll talk about his mistakes and things later but you know he's he's he, for me he's such a such a valuable part of that team and the fact that that Konza who has been getting all the credit really um for that defense um the fact that Konza kind of name checked him and said you know this is you know this this potentially wouldn't be possible without Mings's um vocal leadership and and so on and the fact that they are two very contrasting center halves um that, that complement each other, I think, is is um, you know is, is quite telling, really. Um, but you know, on on onto the Fulham game. Um, obviously, the lead up unexpectedly was was once again dominated by Jack Grealish and the injury rumours that were circulating on on social media beforehand. Um, it came to light from Dean Smith as the game approached that he'd suffered a, a minor setback to his injury. You know, and he wouldn't be fit to play, having you know spent the week. <laughs> the club spent the week kind of building up Jack's Jack's return, and and he and he wasn't on the team sheet. Um, yeah, once again, there was perhaps something of a of a meltdown. Um, you know, from the Villa faithful. Um, you know, 
this is kind of continuing on, really, isn't it? And from 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 previously, and we thought maybe that 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 this had come to an end. But you know, what do you, what do you think's going on here? Do you think it's as simple as it sounds, or or do you think there's there's more to this with Jack Grealish? I think with all the conspiracy theories uh, floating around, I think Jack Jack Grealish, if you read some of the rumours, is everything from a raging alcoholic um, to um, had to he's had an alien abduction. Uh, I think that some of it some of it is getting um, a little bit out of proportion. Um, obviously, we're all disappointed, and and some of the blame for this lies on Smith. Um, if he had just come out in the beginning and said, "Look," Jack's out for we're looking probably a month to six weeks but if we get him back sooner then great it's all put to bed no one's speculating every week where he is how he's doing um, um, but Smith chose a different tactic which I think in retrospect he probably regrets because he changed tact very quickly yesterday and said yep yeah, he's had a uh, an injury and we're not sure when he's going to be back which I think is what he should have done in the beginning but I think this really ties into just the, the Jack Grealish, you know, cult of personality almost. Um, there was an article, I think, from Greg Evans today in The Athletic that Jack Grealish is the number two most Googled England player behind Harry Kane. People are, this this guy's box office. People are, are, are interested in him outside of Aston Villa. But in Aston Villa, Jack is loved. I haven't seen the depth of emotion to a single player maybe since Paul McGrath. And I don't say Paul McGrath lightly because he is, you know, he is a deity to Villa fans. And Jack Grealish has this kind of symbiotic link with Aston Villa. And I think that everything that he says, everything that he does, anytime he's injured or anytime there's any rumour of him leaving or rumour of him being injured or hurt, um, you know, people do lose their minds. Um, I think that um, Jack is a human being and he's a professional athlete and he is going to have stages where he is out of form and he's going to have stages where he's injured this is one of those stages it will come to an end i think we just all have to take a deep breath and be a bit more patient yeah there's some interesting stuff going on here one of them is is dean smith's reluctance to lay his cards on the table which to us as fans is incredibly infuriating. We want to know how long he's out for. I mean, I know my fantasy team has struggled because I keep putting him in on the hope <laughs> that he's going to come back in. But I actually worked for a team in, in the MLS before and I, I knew firsthand then how secretive the coaches were about their lineups and who's injured and who's not. And you're like, in this day and age, anyone can Google and find out if someone's injured or not. And yet coaches still hold true to this almost like hand, hand in the team sheet in at the very last minute, keeping the other coaches off guard. And I think... That speaks to Jack's testament, Jack's importance to the team. He is so vital for us that Smith wants the opposition manager to think that he's lining up for us, even if there's no hope in hell that he is, just to try and catch him off guard. And I think the other thing this speaks to is, is kind of Jack's importance to the club. I was I was chatting to someone the other day and almost likening him to Letizia at Saints, where he, he elevated an average team into a good team. And when Letizia didn't play during that Saints side, you almost didn't want to watch Saints play. There weren't that many good players there. And and I think the recent run of games, much as I hate to say it as a Villa fan, shows that, that we're kind of in a similar boat with Jack at the moment. When Jack isn't there, we're an entirely different team. So it probably doesn't answer your question. It's me rabbiting about how much I love Jack and, and how much I kind of think coaches are outdated. But I think we're going to have this Jack conversation for his entire tenure at Villa. I could see him if he stays with his career with us. He'll be a 33-year-old and we'll be wondering why he isn't starting. He's just that important to the club. 
I think I think that's why it's 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 it is such big news whenever there's um, a rumor circulating about about Grealish, and it's that you know this idea that you know people get hold of this information, and I think that'll be frustrating for for Dean Smith. The fact that obviously some people either within the circle of the club or within the circle of Jack himself <coughs> is releasing this. This information, of course, anyone can tweet information now, can't they? It doesn't have to go through a through a journalist or a newspaper. It, it, it's just it just appears online, and and it gets jumped on, um, and it causes it causes a lot of um, it seems to cause a lot of resentment within the fan base, which is um, which is strange. And I know it, you know it's something that I've found frustrating. I tried to take a different view of it yesterday and just thought, well. You know, it's if I was going to the game, I'm not going to watch Jack Grealish. I'm, you know, it's it's the it's the team, isn't it? It's the it's the club that I'm I'm supporting, and I've seen I've seen far worse players um, than the ones we have currently lining up for that team. So um, it shouldn't it shouldn't really be so off putting, but it is kind of he does carry with him an awful lot of um, the fans' enthusiasm for 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 watching games and following. The team and obviously the hopes um, from you know from now until the end of the season and obviously over the next sort of few years hopefully so you know I can I can kind of see where it comes from but it's just this this kind of toxicity that's created by by these these results and another thing that I've always thought and going back to Dean Smith and his handling of it you know I, I follow Rugby Union very closely and they they release their teams. Uh, 48 hours usually before the game so you know it's it's a bit of an odd one why why in football it's it's so different and it has to be so kind of um, cloak and daggers but um, it's just the culture of the of the game I suppose and and you know and, and what and what's going on but you know clearly it it does make a difference to how how we're playing at the moment, and that's something that needs to be addressed. What do, what what do you guys think about that? I guess I'll throw an honest question back at you guys. I was kind of just before the lineup was announced. I've, I've just flown into the UK. I'm jet lagged to all hell, trying to work out how I'm going to stay awake for the game. My phone pops up the lineup, and I see Jack isn't playing. And there was a little part of me that sunk, and a little part of me that thought, "Oh, I might just take myself off to bed then," because I I kind of knew what we were going to get, and it, it's not the same spectacle that we get when Jack's on the pitch. And I realised that makes me one of the kind of fans that that I normally criticise. And I kind of, yeah, I wonder if you boys do the same. I found myself kind of genuinely torn. That I love the team, but given the recent form, I'm kind of it's difficult to get myself up for a game when I know Jack isn't starting. I was in, in. I was incredibly disappointed. I think, as as probably we all were, um, but I I'm disappointed. Um, I was disappointed in the lineup. When I, the first thing I looked for when I saw Grealish wasn't in the lineup was, okay, how are we setting up? And then when I see that we're doing, and I've I've may have mentioned this once or twice, <laughs> when I see that we are lined up in this four four three or four two three one without Jack Grealish, it that annoyed me. Because I was like, at this point, at this point, lads, we have learned, 
we do not have the capability to play this system. We do not have the wide forwards to play this system without Jack Grealish. A good 4-4-3 demands. It, it needs a Salah, it needs a Mane, it needs a Foden or a Mares or a Sterling or a Grealish or a, a Hazard. It needs at least one of those wide forwards to be elite. I mean, I go back to the old Chelsea days where we had uh, Damien Duff and I and Robin when we first kind of saw it in, in Jose Mourinho's first term. You need a top player, at least one top player in one of those positions, otherwise it doesn't work. And for all of Anwar and Trezeguet we're going to talk about and Traore, I don't think anyone is going to confuse any of them at this moment in time, with all due respect, with top-tier elite Premier League players that could walk into a Manchester City or Manchester United, whereas Jack Grealish is. So you just cannot play this formation with without. You just can't do it. And the fact that he did it again, I was like, well, it's going to be the same. We're not going to be able to create. Watkins is going to be plowing this lonely for. for, uh, for uh, he's going to be up on his own, no support. No one's going to get near him, uh, and and we're not going to create anything because we don't. They don't have the. They don't have the skill set, and that's not their fault. I'm not angry at Al Ghazi or Traore. I'm angry at Al Ghazi because he didn't try a lick yesterday. But that's a different story. I'm not angry at them for not being De Bruyne or David Silva or, or, or Salah or Mane. I'm not angry at them for that. But I do get angry at Smith and Terry and Shakespeare for playing these players in a system which doesn't suit them. Because it's not fair. They can't do it. So stop asking them to do it. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that, that's right. You sort of want... You know, we've talked we've talked um, for a, a few weeks now about Dean Smith sort of having this blind spot um, about setting the team up uh, when Grealish isn't playing, and 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 you know trying to make the most of the the the, the skills of the other the other players. I mean, you know, obviously Al Ghazi came back into the team yesterday replacing Trezeguet, but the one change I think that made a little bit of a difference was. They, they, he kind of switched McGinn and Sanson and, and played McGinn higher up, which is undoubtedly better for John McGinn. And we saw that I think in the first half. I thought, you know, he was he was far more um, in the action. He was causing more problems. He was finding space between the lines, which 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 we've been missing from from John McGinn for for the whole season. Really, he just hasn't been doing it. And and I thought. I thought that was great, but of course, obviously, then when you start making changes in the second half, he has to then drop back because, you know, Douglas Lewis, who we'll talk about later, just wasn't holding up his end of the bargain in, in that respect. So, you know, I think I think there was a almost an attempt there to try and um, to try and, and 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 compensate for Jack not being there, but of course. You know, he he just didn't really change the shape and just expected, I guess, Anwar Al Ghazi to 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 do to have a have a good day, which he 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 patently he patently didn't really. Um, you said um, you know as as well, Holly Watkins. I mean, it was it was clear to see, wasn't it? He was having he was having you know trouble up front. Um, he he was getting none of the ball other than the the the, the kind of penalty appeal, which. Which which eventually got overturned, um, but I just want to ask you about McGinn. I mean, were, were you more more impressed, perhaps, seeing seeing McGinn um, pushed on like that, like you would for Scotland? 
I think like you would for Scotland is a good point because didn't he grab a couple of goals in the week for Scotland as well and and kind of I, I do I love his versatility I've enjoyed watching him deeper this year but he's so much better going forwards kind of we saw it in the season we came up in the championship as a kind of goal scoring eight and I quite like him in that 10 role he for me he sets the tone of the team on the press he's such a good presser of the ball he's little deep down meatball running style he hassles people closes them down and I think that gets the entire team forwards and I think to, to mention a player who whose kind of name has turned to dirt a little bit that's what Barkley was doing early doors for us he had that kind of he was pressing effectively and he had that verticality to him he could pick the ball up and drive straight at the heart of defense and I think that's what McGinn does so well he's He's an all-round player, but he's surprisingly good on the ball, kind of whether he's sticking his backside out and protecting it, or whether he's got down and he's just driving us forwards 10, 15 yards the second he gets it. He really sets the tone, and I think we need that in the 10, especially when we don't have a jack, when we've got El Ghazi cutting in and shooting from every angle he possibly can. You need a player who's going to fill up that hole between Watkins and the midfield. I thought that um, John McGinn was much improved. I think that I've been saying for weeks that I would love to, I was waiting for this John McGinn. John McGinn, you're the leader here. You know, Mings is the leader in the back. You're the leader. You're the senior player. You're the highest paid player of those forward players, uh, uh, maybe outside of Watkins. You got, it's time for you to pick up the slack. And I think he did that in the first half. I think he did his best to gab, grab the game with the scruff of the neck. And I think he was doing the John McGinn things that we want to see. So full credit to John McGinn for doing those John McGinn things. Um, in terms of his position, I think he's um, I, he's not a number 10 for me. At least he's not what I think as, of as a number 10. I think certainly he can play there and cause problems. But for me, a number 10 is, you know, it's a, it's a Roberto Baggio, it's a Dennis Bergkamp, it's a David Silva, it's, a Jack, it's, it's someone, or, or our own Jack Grealish. For me, a number 10 is someone who can spot a pass that no one else can see. Um, like, even if you play in Sunday League... You know, there's the old guy, maybe he's uh, got a few, few few extra pounds on and your manager will say, you need to sit on him because if he gets the ball, he's going to hurt you. Um, that to me is 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 a, is a number 10. That's not John McGinn. I don't think he has the, the pass selection. I don't think he's going to hit a slide rule pass to, to play anyone through. I don't think he's going to see, I don't think he's going to see the passes, you know, like, a, like, like someone else would. But when he's further up there, certainly he causes a nuisance and certainly he causes problems. And I think that the way to get the best out of John McGinn, if we're going to continue with this four four three, um, is probably to have two holders behind him. And then he's playing as an eight with, with less, less defensive responsibility. And he can bomb about with, with, without having the, have to have the tactical, tactical discipline um, to, to plug the gaps. Yeah, I think I think that's that's true, and I'm th- sort of thinking, you know, he is more of a not a ten; he's an eight and a half, isn't he? You know, maybe, but certainly more of an eight, where he's he, he can he can kind of get involved generally um, within the midfield. But you want him arriving in those positions. Now, what was happening yesterday was he was he was carrying the ball, you know, break getting through the lines, and but but there was no one other than Ollie Watkins, you know. I forgot Al Ghazi was playing. You know, he just wasn't showing for it at all. And and even Traore on the other side, they just look confused. They don't. They don't look like they they really know what runs to make or how to affect the attacking. It's play almost at all. as if they're being played in a, in a system they can't play in. <laughs> <laughs> it's also well, a, yeah. a, 
a team that's bereft of creativity too is the problem there is I think it obviously the team's going to work better when Jack's in there you've got these runners and he can pick them out when he's not there we've got the runners it feels like sometimes but we've got no one who could pick them out so the whole thing feels disjointed yeah absolutely and I mean, it was disjointed is probably a good way of, of describing it. Really, I think I think um, the first half kind of you know was 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 very much like that and very slow and, and quite dull. Um, and second half didn't didn't improve too much, really. You know, I, 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 I take issue with um, with anyone that sort of talks about Fulham being dominant or, or or impressive or much better. I don't think they were at all. I think they were. They 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 were certainly a team that were certainly trying for their manager and and and, and desperately trying to do things and showing that that extra bit of commitment and an endeavour perhaps and they have got bits of quality in that that side but I, I certainly don't think they outplayed us in any way during the game. Um, I mean, second half, you know, like we say, continued much like that um, until the the dreaded moment on on sixty one minutes. Um, you know, there was a sloppy ball from Sanson, which I think he'd done all afternoon, really, and got caught in possession. Um, it was intercepted, but I mean, Konza kind of tidied that up, and and it was in, and knocked it to Mings. But he obviously uh, scuffed his attempted back pass, and um, it was a it was a, a real a real shocker, really, and it let uh, Mitrovic uh, in into to round Martinez and slot home. An absolutely awful. Way to go behind um, in a game like that, but um, it just looked like we'd, we'd we'd perhaps choked again, really. Yeah, it did. It was kind of just sim- symptomatic of the malaise that had fallen over the whole team, and you know, an uncharacteristic mistake from Mings. I know that some people on Twitter, and we we addressed this before in a podcast, which I think some of the stuff is a little bit untowards towards Mings, but we won't go uh, back there today. Um, I think that this is Mings' first mistake leading directly to a goal in in thirty games. Yes, he's made other mistakes, and whenever Villa concede a goal, someone seems to want to blame um, Mings for it. Um, but we saw this, you know, John Stones do something very, very similar for England. And, um, you know, John Stones is going to start for England at the Euros. You know, it seems when certain people do it, it's forgiven and, you know, all's forgiven, John. Don't worry about it, even though, uh, you know, it cost England a goal uh, last week. And um, the most impressive thing about Mings is... Um, his recovery. I think he did a similar one. Um, he, he did that. He has done that before. I think last season in the Norwich 5-1 away, he gave a goal away like that. But if it's happening once a season and it happens both times where we win, I think we can probably forgive him for everything else that he brings to the table. But the most important thing was him showing the desire to, a bit like John Stones did actually, John Stones setting up the goal for Harry Maguire for England. Um, Tyron Mings was out there on the wing channeling his inner Chris Waddle. He's dinking and he's jinking. And he, he puts in a, a wonderful ball, which I'm sure he definitely meant, uh, straight to the feet of uh, Trezeguet, who slots home. So, you know, yes, it's disappointing that, um, that our defender made a mistake. But um, again, some of the stuff that people say towards Mings is absolutely outrageous. I mean, goodness me, I think, take a breath. This guy is a very good player, England international. He might be our only player going to the Euros the way it's shaping out. So enjoy him, appreciate him, and uh, maybe get, maybe be a little bit kinder to him when he makes a mistake, especially as it's one that happens very, very rarely in this kind of context. 
Yeah, I think I've said before, I, I see Mings as a player who has the occasional rick in him. It's the way he plays. He's, he's a cavalier kind of centre-back and he's always going to make the odd mistake. And I think the difference and, and the John Stones comparison comes in here is, is how you treat a player when they make that mistake. It's very much the pep way to put his arm around him and say, no, keep playing it out from the back, keep doing what you're doing. And I think the difference in this case is the goal was just a horror show. It was a comedy of errors. And I actually don't think all the blame lies at Mings' feet. I mean, obviously, it was his awful final touch. But the Samsung pass was disgraceful. And I actually think Konza got Mings in a bit of trouble with his pass, too. I think it was one that Konza could have easily put out and put into touch. And he actually tied Tyrone up by, by kind of laying it short to him. So um, I think the blame has to go around for that goal. But but again, I, I love Tyrone. I love how he atoned for his mistake. He, he could have easily let his shoulders slump. And, and, you know, whenever we've conceded first this year, we've gone on to lose. But it felt like he wasn't having that. And almost his own mistake made him puff his chest out more. And he was everywhere, left wing, centre back, sweeping up clattering into Martinez and then yelling at him to get up like he's he was absolutely everywhere afterwards and that's what I want to see players are going to make mistakes they're humans if they were automatons that never made mistakes we wouldn't go and watch it because it would be boring so you know I like him it's that redemption arc he makes a mistake he then drags the team over the line and, and gets us our first comeback of the year I think I think I think that's right, and uh, you know we've all we've all seen the, the criticism Mings get gets on social media, and it does seem worse for some reason. You know, some people suggest it it comes from a different place than just footballing reasons, and 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 you know I'm sure there are arguments for that, and um, you know obviously we don't, we we hate to see we hate to see that you know towards one of our players. Um, but the thing, the thing I will always go back to with Mings is that he is a defender. He's a modern defender who who plays on the edge. He plays, um, you know, in those areas where it's difficult for for normal defenders to play. And and going back to the Konza he, thing earlier, as I said, Konza is protected by Mings in 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 the regard and the tactics, should I say, not Mings personally. Konza isn't asked to play the risky passes. Konza is asked, give it to Cash, give it to Mings, give it to Louise, or give it to the goalie. Konza makes four passes. And I'm not criticising Konza, I'm just trying to highlight the issue. Mings is asked to find Watkins, find Algazi in the channel, play a crossfield ball, give it McGinn. Mings is being asked by the, by the, by the team to do much riskier passes. And just by numbers he's going to make more mistakes and lose possession more times than if he's making safe you know kind of mark draper five yard balls yeah well this is well this is it and 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 that's the that that's exactly the argument um i mean what what do people want because what what happens is you know when when players get this level of, of of abuse from their own fans you know they kind of look at it and think well i'm doing everything I'm in the team every week I've got the captain's armband I'm playing for England you know it's not my issue it's it's their issue and do I want to play in front of these people do I want to you know stick around and and just and just be the guy that everyone blames when things goes wrong and you know he, he's an intelligent guy he's going to look at that and say I can go and play somewhere else where they'll, they'll appreciate me you know, do we want to go back to the days? I mean, it wasn't that long ago we had Jolien Lescott playing in that position. You know, Nathan Baker, people like this, you know. Mille Jednak. Mille Jednak, exactly, yeah, exactly, you know. It's it's not it's it's not beyond the realms that we, we go back to there and we have to have longer memories than this, you know. Tyrone Mings is an elite defender 
based on where we've been over the last 10 years. And, uh, you know. and I will echo that. And I'm going to repeat, 14 clean sheets, by the way, is championship winning level defending. Championship winning level defending. Um, still with nine games to go, so there's going to be some more clean sheets you know, on the way. It doesn't really get much better than this defensively. So I'm not sure <laughs> in midfield and in attack, we have a, a long ways to go for sure. But defensively, it, it, uh, in terms of the unit, there, isn't, there aren't many improvements to be made, I'm afraid. So um, if we can't enjoy this, then, you know, maybe we should ask Richards and Lescott if they're available. Get Kieran, <laughs> get Kieran Richards some back in no. at left back and, <laughs> and see if we can get but, but, Bakuna as the marauding right back, you know. Oh, no. I'm having cold sweats now just flashing back to that. But I think it's, it's <laughs> as well as Ming's the defender, it's Ming's the person. I want a person like him in my team. I want a story like him, a character like him. You... You hear him on the pitch, especially in these lockdown worlds where you can have the stadium sound. He's yelling at everyone, constantly driving them forwards. And I don't hear that many other voices on that pitch. And it's, I think that's it. I, I don't know what Villa fans expect. Do they want perfection every single game, every single minute of every game? I mean, that's not football and that's not Villa where we're at at the current level. And I think Mings, you're right, is a world-class defender playing a great game and leading the team as well, leading a bunch of young guys as well. And, yeah, I honestly don't think he could do much better. You know, the odd mistake happens. The best players in the world make the odd mistake. And the criticism does feel incredibly unbalanced. And and I think that's what makes it even more obvious and even more uncomfortable. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. And, you know, going back to what Craig said about the defence and... You know, we, we did say that those games when, when Jack Grealish was out before the break, I think we, before the Tottenham game at least, we'd, we'd, um, we'd, we'd something like over over six five or six games, we'd, we'd, we'd picked up five points but only scored three goals. You know, so that tells you everything you need to know about the job that those, those defenders were doing, particularly someone like Tyro Mings in keeping it all hung together. Um, in keeping the keeping the scoreboard ticking over in a, in a way, whilst Jack Grealish wasn't out, my main concern yesterday, certainly for the first 60-70 minutes, was not whether Mings has made a mistake. It's why we haven't had a shot on target, you know, against Fulham for the second game in a row as well. By the way, at home against the team that that are third from bottom of the league, you know, so that that was my my main concern. But obviously. Enter the Egyptian king. Um, Trezeguet was introduced immediately after the goal. I'm sure he was probably coming on anyway. Um, I mean, El Ghazi had been entirely ineffective um, at that point, and Davis and Ramsey soon followed from the subs bench. And they, they, they certainly gave the team, I think, a little bit more energy, a little bit more in, uh, impetus going forward. You know, but but like like Craig. As already said, you know it was uh, it was a bit of a bit of tidy wing play by by um, uh, Target and, and 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 Mings, you know, lovely cross by Mings and a really really good finish, I think, by by Trezeguet, um, which he then followed up a couple of minutes later after a, a, a great piece of work by Keenan Davis, who again is someone that, that Villa fans have been have been very critical of. You know, he, he robbed the centre back and. And powered forward, and you know, really, really good cross and an excellent finish again by Trezeguet. Um, obviously, Ollie Watkins rounded rounded it off with a with a fairly simple goal. Again, 
you know, really good setup by Troyore, and you sort of left thinking, where was this for the rest of the game? Um, you know, football can be a mad game. Um, I mean, how much credit do you think goes to Smith here? Um, but also, you know, probably to the to the, the you know the, the the guys that came on in in kind of really stamping their authority on the game. I think Smith deserves a lot of credit. I mean, substitutions change games, and he's often been criticised for not making the right substitutions uh, or not making them at the right times. But I think he also deserves to be criticised for not starting the Egyptian king, who is clearly showing us he's the like-for-like replacement for Jack Grealish. And and without him in the team, where are the goals and the assists going to come from? And it's... I only say that half jokingly, just to just to poke Craig here because I know <laughs> know we've had a difference of opinion on Trez, and I smiled extra hard when when the first and then the second went in. But uh, yeah, I, I love I love to see it. Trez again has this this odd habit of just showing up for the last ten games of the season, and you've you've wondered where he's been all year, and then he suddenly realizes he's he's got to play for his spot in the team and turns it on, but. Keenan Davis, as you say, a great little cameo from him, an incredibly frustrating player, but I think showed there what he can potentially do, especially maybe making a shout to play two strikers. And I think Ramsey was good too. And I think the the difficulty for Smith is his hands are kind of tied. You look at that bench, there's not any game changers that you look at and you think, oh yeah, bring him on, he's going to turn it around for us. I think all three of them were rolls of the dice. The, the most interesting thing for me, perhaps, is that they all added energy to a team that's looked bereft of energy for a long time. And I think that's what, what all three of those players seem to bring. And, and I wouldn't mind seeing two, if not all three of them, start in the next game, just because I think we look leggy out there. But yeah, Trezeguet, number one on my team sheet, number one in my heart. Trezeguet, Trezeguet, <laughs> Trezeguet. So, uh, yeah, it's time for me to take my Trezeguet lumps and I'm going to take them like a man. Um, first of all, a shout out to Daniel Kilgore, who is at DG underscore Kilgore, uh, for pointing out that I had mentioned that Trezeguet is the least talented player at Aston Villa a number of times. And um, do you know what? I stand by that. <laughs> I stand by that. But do you know what Trezeguet is? He is maybe along with Mings and Grealish, he might be the player with the most heart. He might be the the player with the strongest mentality. He might be the player that will literally be willing to collapse um, before he stops chasing lost causes. Um, he was kind of the the opposite to Al- El Ghazi yesterday. If if somehow, if someone out there in the, because we have a lot of uh, very clever Aston Villa fans out there, a lot of highly accomplished individuals. So if someone out there is able to invent a machine where we can combine the mentality of Trezeguet with the natural technique and ability of El Ghazi, we will have the super winger that we need. Um, I think Trezeguet, absolutely, he came on and I thought probably what lots of people thought, well, (laughs) you know, oh well, kind of thing. And then Traore gets the ball, floats in a wonderful cross to the back post. There's Trezeguet and it bounces out for a throw-in. (laughs) and i thought to myself oh dear and then um it all happened so quickly with chris waddle mings on the wing i wasn't sure who it was who it was i couldn't quite see it was like oh it's trezeguet i was like oh my goodness and then the second finish was pure 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 class from keenan davis what a run power pace um bullying the, the Fulham defenders, doing everything that that, that, that Keenan Davis at his best can do. And it was a wonderful finish from Trezeguet. And he showed the composure that he so often doesn't show. So if, if Trezeguet has the... I said last week, 
I saw Trezeguet as maybe being a player who could be our 10-goal-a-season winger after his project restart uh, exploits. And he came back and he's, he's shanking things and missing chances and putting in poor crosses. And then yesterday, he just has there's these moments where you think, oh, maybe, maybe he can do it. So I've decided that um, we have to keep Trezeguet in a glass jar for game one to 29 of each season. <laughs> and then in emergency break glass situation, we smash the glass, game 30, and Trezeguet comes out for game 30 and <laughs> to game 38 to become like a Mo Salah clone. Um, but congratulations to Trezeguet. Um, obviously, if he carries on this form, um, maybe it will switch around. Maybe it'll be Al Ghazi out the door and Trezeguet gets to have another season at Aston Villa. Um, you know, credit to him. I think I think that's it, and yeah, absolutely credit to him. And I mean, I've wrote a piece myself, sort of suggesting that maybe he hasn't got the um, he hasn't really got the ability to come with us to the to to the to where we want to go, essentially. Um, and he might he might look elsewhere in the summer. But um, the, the thing about Trezeguet is that he he does this this sort of thing, and we've seen it last season, and he looks like a real. Like say a finisher, an inside forward who can who can score 10, 12 goals a season, you know, who contributes a massive amount of tip to the team. He's he's incredibly fit. He gets around that 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 side. He really he covers his fullback. He's he was in the side at the start of the season because of that, because of that work he did. He really balanced the team off with with Jack Grealish on the other side and he 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 gave he gave that license for the team to to attack in the way that they did. But you see, you can say, well, now he's got to play next week, and it'll be the old, it'll be back to normal for Trezeguet. It's like these, it's and it's the same with Al Ghazi. He'll have a run, and you think, yes, he's cracked it, and then it'll just drop off, and 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 it and it falls off a cliff again. There's no consistency there, and this is a problem with. With with most wingers, I think, or most wide forwards, you know, they go through these these stages. But when when Trezeguet is and Al Ghazi, when they're when they're when they're on form, they're match winners. But I think though those are the exceptions rather than the rules for for both of them. And I I love the fact that Trezeguet um, seemed to be responding to some criticism. Did he read not your article, me. Andy? Maybe that's <laughs> I'm, I'm not suggesting he read my article at all. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. But he's obviously aware of some criticism, you know, and, and, and with his celebrations and that sort of thing. He, and he's, he's probably he's also aware that he's the player that's taken most shots in the Premier League without scoring prior to yesterday. I mean, that you know, people he'll know about that. The players will probably tease him in training about that. You know, he'll be aware that he is. You know, as good as he was yesterday, he has missed some some guilt edge chances the one at West Ham away just popped into my mind where it's harder to put it wide but anyway but but credit to Trezeguet for yesterday but I, I think you're right um, I think you're absolutely right I think Andy how we you know we can't have these players in, in order to move to the next level as, as, as I think that is the point you're making and you, the point you made quite uh, excellently in the article as well is if we want to move to the next level as good as Trezeguet was yesterday as good as El Ghazi was in December we can't have players who turn up one, once every five to six games. We have to have players who are turning up each and every week, guarantee you at a seven out of ten, um, because it's only with that consistency that you're going to be able to compete with the big boys. I think you both make a good point there. Andy's point that 
wingers are naturally inconsistent unless you're able to blow big money on on a Salah or, or even on a Mane. Not that either of those have been that consistent this year. But you, to get to that next level, you've got to spend big because wingers are naturally inconsistent. And I think Craig's point that El Ghazi and Trezeguet combined would be a great winger. That's kind of the level we're shopping at at the moment. We can't buy the complete player, so we buy half of a complete player and hope that we'll get, get it out of them from the season. And same with Traore, who... Has got bags of natural talent, but he's a little bit of a reclamation project. You're not sure what you're going to get with him. And I think if he was top drawer, a bigger team would have come in for him. And I think that's the market we're shopping in at the moment. And we've shot very well in it. And and much as I, I only half-jokingly kind of talk about Trezeguet being our best player, I agree. I think a, a Villa team that's challenging for Europe doesn't have Trezeguet as a starter, doesn't have El Ghazi as a starter, and I think probably doesn't have Traore as a starter either. El Trez. We're gonna patent that then, <laughs> El Trez. We're gonna. That's the that's the hybrid of uh, Trezeguet and El Ghazi that um, that we're looking for essentially in the transfer market. Well, but you know, there's this player I, available actually. Um, his name's Julian Draxler. I don't know if I've mentioned him. <laughs> <laughs> He's out of contract at PSG this year. You know, he was a substitute at the weekend. I think for PSG, they lost one nil. Uh, he came on late on. Wasn't able to change the game, but. For sure, there's a there's a home for you at Aston Villa, Julian. We love you. But do you know do you know what do you know what some some Villa fans would respond to that is if he's not good enough for PSG, why is he good enough for Aston Villa? And, well, because PSG have, <laughs> I would respond. They have they have Neymar and Mbappe, and we have you know different players. I'm not good. Yeah, that's it. Shall we say? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, you know, we, we look. We've we've the history books are going to look back and, and they'll, they'll show a comfortable 3-1 home win against Fulham. You know, a team in the bottom three and, and staring relegation in the face now. Um, you know, there, there were, however, you know, poor performances and we've talked about El Ghazi and Traore who really did very little and certainly Traore did did, did nothing until until he set up Watkins' third, uh, the third goal for Watkins late on. Um Sanson as well looks to be struggling, but but the player we really want to sort of have have a bit of a chat about is is Douglas Louise, who you know playing in that number six role really was one of the top performers of of twenty twenty. Um, certainly after restart, right up until the COVID outbreak at the club um, around Christmas time, and um, he's really gone off the boil. Uh, since then, I mean, you know, what what do you guys think's happening with Douglas Louise at the moment? I hope what's happening with Douglas Louise. I sincerely hope that Douglas Louise is just tired, a bit like Ollie Watkins. He hasn't had too much rotation. He's only twenty three, um, maybe even twenty two, twenty three. Um, so you know, he still isn't a fully grown man kind of thing. And I think we saw that actually in some of his interactions with Loftus Cheek yesterday. Uh, Loftus Cheek. Um, in the first half, at least, was just bullying at all of our midfielders. He was too big, too strong, too fast, too technical. And Douglas Louise, you know, was, you know, it was like a son playing with his was like playing with his dad in the park. Loftus Cheek was just was just in a different a different realm. Um, although then Loftus Cheek went on to then run out of gas in the second half and couldn't you know couldn't run five yards, which shows us why Loftus Cheek has never really made made it um, where we thought he would go. But that's what I hope is wrong with Douglas Louise. I hope he's just fatigued. I hope he's just tired. And I think I hope he just hasn't been rotated enough and that he's just out of gas. However, um, 
there is a rather more sinister possibility, and that is that the deal is done. I mean, Manchester City, uh, the 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 rumours mill or the the the, the reporters are reporting as they do that uh, june the 5th is the deadline which is uh, eight weeks away according to my crack calculations so presumably the transfer has to happen with eight week within eight weeks douglas louise and aston villa will all be already be already be aware of manchester city's intentions and so could it be that douglas is just checked out on aston villa now and he's going to man city or is it the other way that Man City have told him they don't want him and he's having a bit of a sulk. You know, he's having a bit of a crisis of confidence. Uh, either way, he hasn't been quite right. But um, uh, I hope that um, it's the, one of the former uh, reasons and not the latter. Yeah, I, I think personally, I actually think he's off to City. I don't know if they've told him yet, but I, I firmly think that he's he's going there. I think they've got a hole in that, that sixth position. He's the ideal player to fill it. I wonder if his lack of form maybe is the fact that he's been juggled around positions. He's always that six, but he's either been in a two or on his own, and he's not really been able to get into a groove this year. And I wonder if that has it. He's a young man, as Craig says, he's played a lot of football, if you, you throw in his Brazil caps too. And I think it, it's it's a very different role playing the six on your own to playing the six as part of a two. And I think that that maybe has something. He doesn't know if he's coming or going half the time. And I think sometimes when he's playing as part of the two, he's got more license to get forwards, whereas... I think we saw his best performances last year when he was just a six on his own and he was told just do the dirty stuff, win the ball back, play it off simple. And I think he's he's been caught between that when he first joined us and he was trying a little bit too hard. And I think he's been caught between that and when he played his best football, mainly because he's been juggled around so much. And yet yeah, he's knackered like the rest of the players are knackered. We've we've said before they haven't looked the same since since COVID hit them. And I think the league as a whole hasn't looked the same this year. And I think we're looking at a bunch of tired legs out there. But yeah, for my for money my money's worth, he's he's gone. I, I really think that Pep's coming in for him. Yeah, you see, I mean it's fairly likely, isn't it? Although um I'm not I'm not certain um Really, whether um, he's up to their their level quite yet, um, but uh, clearly he's they're at a stage where they, they it's kind of now or never, isn't it? If they're going to do it, do the deal and and get him, or if they're going to sort of leave it and, and move elsewhere. Really, the the thing I'd go back to is his um, you know his form last season and about him being sort of bullied by Loftus cheek on 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 Sunday and actually he wasn't being bullied last season even you know by much bigger midfielders he he'd quite often come up with the ball you know come out of a a challenge or a or a scuffle with the ball and you know he didn't he certainly didn't look um quite so lightweight although he's you know he is He's, he's not a he's not a big lad um, by any stretch, but he's 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 quite tough, and he was obviously very very astute with his positioning, um, being that 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 single pivot in the in the midfield, and it worked really well. Um, obviously, they've had to had to look at things and and, and change things around a little bit for, for some reason, but um, yeah, I, I tend to like him just as that that sitting player. In front of the back four, um, he can he can sort of move forward with the ball. He is a, a very good ball carrier, um, 
but his main job is to is to destroy and break up play and I think he's very good at it um, I don't subscribe to the view that he's more of an 8 I think some people think he's more of an 8 than a 6 I don't I think he can be that but I think he's he's far better and certainly his best games for Villa has been as a as a 6 and a, as a single if, single 6 if, you know. if if it's true what Dan's saying that um, you know he's going to Man City um, he shouldn't be a 6 or an 8 he should be on the bench with Barkley um, in my estimation just for the reasons I said about Barkley nothing wrong with him he's not you know a bad guy or anything like that it's just a question of these Premier League minutes being like gold dust and we talk about Sanson yeah Sanson is struggling I don't think he was shocking yesterday I think he was probably 6 out of 10 he was probably slightly below par but you can see these minutes, these minutes that he's getting now, although he's not setting the world on fire, they will come to bear next season when he hits the ground running in August with a full preseason behind him. And Sanson, you'll see something different. Same with Jacob Ramsey. Um, you're going to see something different because they're getting these minutes that we're not wasting on Barclay. So if that is the case, um, presumably the, they will know by now internally whether he's going or not. Douglas will, we certainly will know by now whether he's going or not. If he is going... I would say thank you very much, Douglas. Uh, Marvellous. You're going to be playing and um, we'll bring in uh, old Chucky Chukwemenka as our as our alternative number eight and moving forward. But Douglas, thank you for your service. But we're going to get these minutes into players that are going to be with us next year. And maybe that sounds harsh, but I think we have the freedom to do it. I don't think we're going to get into yeah, Europe. We do now, yeah. I don't think we're going down. Just play the players that are going to be with Aston Villa if if that is the case. Yeah. Well, devil's yeah. advocate, like, would you actually mind if Dougie left? Like, I, I like him, I love him as a player, but we're going to make a, a healthy product, a profit on him. We've we've had a couple of good years out of him. We've got Nick Ambrew looks better, and then reinvest in another player. I mean, as I say, I don't want to see him go, but would it be the worst thing in the world if he did? I don't see him as a crucial cog in in that machine personally. My my answer to that is, if he's playing like he did do throughout. 2020 after restart he is crucial and I think he proved during that time that he can potentially be a really really top top player top midfielder um but but since you know so, so you've got to kind of cast your memory back a little bit to answer that at the moment how he's playing you know if you can get I think if they say it's 27 million I think that's that's fine you know and we, we can probably replace him with someone else but I think you know, if if we if next season we're going to be seeing the Dougie of 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 before Christmas, then I, I'd I'd love to see him stay and be be part of our be part of our team. I'd love to see him stay. I think I've said before. I think Douglas Louise in five or six years we will be playing for Real or Barca or PSG. I think he's that good. Um, he's not that good yet, clearly. But again, he's really still a baby. You know, he's you know for 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 a defensive midfielder like him. He could be ten years away from his peak, you know. They, you know, those those are some of the guys that tend to get better after thirty. If you look at players like Thiago or Fernandinho, for example, um, so he is well, well, you know, below where he could get to. Um, and I think that he's got all the makings of a top DM. So I would keep him. But if we lost him and we were to reinvest that twenty five million in a Sander Berg or a uh, Bissouma from Brighton, um, it would. I don't think it would be the end of the world, but I would be disappointed to see him to see Dougie go. Yeah, so I mean, obviously this 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 win now takes us up to um, 
back up to ninth place. I, I, we did drop below Leeds momentarily, which which caused me pain. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're back up to ninth place um, on forty four points, um, and that will clearly give everyone a, a, a huge lift after the after the previous few weeks. Indeed, like, I think Emmy Martinez. Uh, posted a, a really great sort of team picture on his on his Instagram page, and it, every, everyone looks to be happy and you know as you'd expect, I suppose after a, after a win like that, um, despite the recent recent trouble and and, and of course Jack Grealish be, being out, um, I think the players will all feel that they they can get into those European places. However unlikely it feels to to us now. Um, We've talked about it before. You know, clearly they changed the system late on. Played the extra striker. Do you think that's that's something that maybe they'll they'll look at um, going forward to, to to cover for the the missing Jack Grealish if that's going to continue? I think Dean Smith should have looked at it already. I think that um, yes, we give him credit as as we mentioned earlier for changing the system, um, but um, for sure he's had plenty of. We've all had plenty of evidence that the 4-4-3 or 4-2-3-1 doesn't work for Aston Villa without Jack Grealish and I think as soon as we switch to a 4-4-2 and I do I do lay the large caveat on the table that Fulham are not very good so <laughs> I I appreciate that um, but I think McGinn looked really good at playing in the two. Traore suddenly sprang to life because he had an extra out ball. He was playing the ball into Davis, and I think our first shot came in the uh, just uh, just before we scored was Traore getting the ball. Davis holds it off, lays it off to Traore. Traore, you know, hits hits a shot towards goal, um, and then Traore was a different player playing in that four for the last kind of twenty minutes. Watkins was a different player because he had uh, he had Davis there to, to to help him out, and that's not. Watkins' natural game. Watkins is not at his best with his back to goal, holding off six foot three centre halves. That's Keenan Davis's job. So I want to see, um, and Trezeguet as well looked great um, in the four four two. Obviously, I want to see us play some kind of combination with two strikers. Maybe it's not four four two. Maybe it's three five two. Maybe it's the Hassan Hootel four two two two. Two, 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 two <laughs> formation um, that uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. But for sure, I think without Jack Grealish, Keenan Davis is your out ball. He's going to hold, if, if, he, if he can do nothing else, I think all Villa fans can agree he holds up the ball very, very well. Now, obviously, some people feel he has other qualities, other people don't feel he has other qualities. But I think hopefully what we can agree on as Villa fans is Keenan Davis can hold up the ball. And I think. Leicester do it. Leicester don't mind pumping it long over the top to Jamie Vardy. Uh, 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 Brendan Rodgers loves playing a diamond um, with Tielemans and, and Madison. And it works really, really well with narrower wide players. We've got the players to play that system. We've got the players to play a 4-4-2 diamond. We've got the players to play and just get get um, get him in there. Get Davis in there. I mean, I would even do it especially... I know we're going to come on to the Liverpool game, but we have... Weapons that can hurt teams. I think if we had played the formation we finished with against Fulham, against the likes of Newcastle, Sheffield United and Wolves, for sure I think we win two of those three games because I think we ask them different questions and I think that we play to the strengths of the players that we have uh, rather than playing a system which is designed for Jack Grealish when he isn't there, which is, which is madness. So for me, it's really all about formation, formation, formation. Um, and another thing that I will say is yesterday... 
The set pieces were horrible. That was some of the worst dead ball deliveries that you will ever see. So whoever's coming in in the summer, whoever it is, is going to be um, coming in. <coughs> Traxler. It needs to be someone. <laughs> it needs to be someone with dead ball delivery because boy, oh boy, do we miss Connor, Connor Harahan. I mean, Connor Harahan's set pieces are worth five or six goals a, a season, which is in turn probably worth eight to 12 points. I mean, you know, people laugh at Burnley and think it's kind of, you know, rudimentary football. But there's a reason Burnley finish comfortably mid-table every season. It's because there's, there's, it's successful, it works. And I'm not saying that we emulate Burnley, but they play a 4-4-2, they play with two up top. If Burnley can do it, and Leicester can do it, Villa can do it, and we should do it against Liverpool, for me. I, I like... I get your point about Keenan Davis, and I think I've said every time I've come on the pod, without Jack there, we have a huge gap between strikers and midfield, and Barkley doesn't fill it, the wingers don't fill it, McGinn doesn't fill it, and we have that hole, and Keenan Davis fills that hole. He drops off, he holds the ball up, he enables the team to get a whole 10 yards up the pitch, and against a Fulham or a Newcastle, that's fine. I don't think we have the players to do it against a Liverpool. I think we need the extra midfielder in there, or we're going to get overrun against a Liverpool or a top-tier team. I just don't think we have the quality. A Burnley, for example, have been built around a 4-4-2. They have the right kind of tenacious players who will get in there and fight for it. And I think Leicester's diamond's a different story, but again, they have a better quality of player right now, perhaps, in those central positions to make it work. And I think at fullback too, when they've got their best fullbacks out. Um, but I think maybe the bigger issue here is Dean Smith's lack of flexibility. But that we knew we were getting that with him as a manager. He's always been very dogmatic. I think at Brentford he always played the four-two-three-one, and the season we came up he played the four-three-three non-stop. And I think he has a preferred style of play, and I don't see him changing that. And I think it's much as Keenan Davis felt like he was the answer against Fulham. I don't think a striker who hasn't scored for. God knows how many games. It feels like years now, and I think it has been years. Even though he brings so much else to the pitch, and I, I loved his cameo, I think it's very hard to make a case for him to start against the Liverpool, and I think defensively it opens us up too. I mean, I, I would I would go a completely different way now until the end of the season, and I'd throw Louis Barry in on the left. If, if, if that's where... Um, uh, if Jack Grealish is going to be, he's going to be missing... Um, I'd, I'd 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 throw him in there. Um, I know a lot of people will say, "Well, he's he's not ready. He's too small. He's this and that." But I mean, he he showed, I think, a, a brief glimpse of what he can do. He scores goals for fun in the under twenty threes. He's way above that level, and I think you put him in for the last eight or nine games of this season, um, playing instead of of Jack on the left hand side. I mean, certainly Liverpool are probably. Would probably be having nightmares at, uh, still about him um, from from the, the FA Cup game, and I, I would that would be my that would be my choice. I think as a progressive sort of statement, I suppose um, regarding our academy, there's absolutely no reason for me not to do that, um, and it certainly for me would be more enjoyable to watch than um, than watching El Ghazi and Trezeguet and Traore and whoever else sort of struggling to make any headway. Um, during games, so that would that would be my sort of curveball on on that situation. Really, I'll stick Ramsey in again. I think Ramsey's been he, he. I think he's a ten. I think that's when he came up through the academy a bit more as, and, and he's not been played there by Smith too much this year. And I actually, I, 
I love Smith, but I question his logic on not sending Ramsey out on loan. I mean, of course, it's been great. He's had that gold dust of Premier League minutes, but perhaps an entire season of regular football might have been better under his belt in the championship this year for, for his development. And so I think if if we are looking at that sitting pretty comfortably mid-table now with not much to, to win or lose, give him the run of games, let him develop, because I think he needs those games. And I think, yeah, again, youthful energy could be the answer in there for us. But I do feel Smith's been a little unfair for him not, not letting him go out. I understand the reasoning, but I, I think an entire season of championship football would have done him good, rather than a handful of bench appearances in the odd start. Oh, I, I disagree. I disagree. I firmly disagree. Um, only because I think he's. I think these Premier League minutes that he's gonna that he's getting are really gonna be. I think the Premier League minutes are better than the Championship minutes because it's the level of opposition. I think that. Um, I think that. Um, Maybe he goes. I think Mark a couple of weeks ago said maybe that um, Ramsey should go out on loan next season, and maybe he should. But I think this season, having around the first team picture, getting all those minutes into him, I think will pay off in the long term. Obviously, we won't be able to. We won't know for sure, you know, um, how it works out. But I've I've liked having Ramsey um, around, um, playing playing those minutes, and I think it, it's going to be really good for his development. I, have I, to I say, agree. Like it's it, there's Premier League minutes are great. He's just not had enough of them, and I don't know why. And he's not had enough of them in his best position. And it's yeah, like Premier League minutes are like dog years. They're worth seven of uh, of Championship minutes or whatever the math works out as. But um, I, I do think a season on loan would have done him good, but I understand why he stuck around. And I, it would have been good for his development. I just don't see why Smith doesn't give him more minutes at the moment. But then he's paid to manage Aston Villa, and I'm not, so... Andy, you've got th- the deciding vote here. I th- no, I, th- I think I think it's somewhere in in the middle, really. Oh. I think. I, think oh, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily give him the run of games, but I would I would certainly have him involved more. Um, and I think if we if we're taking the logic that Barkley is gone or he's going, then I mean I was I was pleased to see Ramsey come on. Um, on Sunday, rather than rather than Barkley, I fully expected Barkley to come on. And uh, when I saw Ramsey standing there, I was I was quite pleased. And that's not because I dislike Barkley at all. I just think that that's that's what I want. Unless we are actually going to sign Barkley, um, which seems unlikely, then I think um, I think I want to see I want to see Ramsey. I want to see Sanson playing more. But I'd, I'd love to see Louis Barry. Um, uh, you know, re- really kind of given that run um, whilst Jack Grealish is out. Um, on the left-hand side, off, you know, just playing just off Ollie Watkins, um, that would be my my choice. Um, but looking ahead to Liverpool on Saturday, um, it's, this certainly isn't going to be a repeat of the seven-two win back in September. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp has had this fixture circled on his calendar all season uh, since that that game. But they've shown that they are very beatable. The, 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 their defence is, is is a mishmash of players that they've had to draft in. Although they, I think they have done done reasonably okay in the absence of Van Dijk and Gomez recently. Um, but they've shown that if 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 the opposition can hold firm defensively, you know, and, and create some opportunities, they're they're, they're very beatable. Um, we've talked a little bit about it, but but you know. Are we saying um, change the system for this one? Dean Smith change the system with, with, with or without Jack, Jack Grealish? 
I think the 7-2 showed that Smith has clearly got a blueprint for beating Liverpool. And you're right, they're a very different team now. I think uh, Jota coming back as well for them changes them going forwards. Um, I honestly don't know how we should how we should approach this one, which is, I guess, why I'm, I'm not a football manager unless I play it on my laptop. It's uh, I, I feel like we've got some crucial injuries, and if Jack doesn't start, I'm particularly worried about how this game will go. I don't think we can sit in and defend against them. I don't think we have the players to go toe-to-toe like we did in that 7-2 with them. Um, so I'm nervous, and I, I honestly, I mean, this is great content that you want at the end of a podcast, but I don't know how he approaches this. I think we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. Well, um, I think that we saw, I think I watched the Arsenal game, um, Arsenal-Liverpool game this this weekend, or at least I tried to. It was pretty pretty desperate stuff from Arsenal, actually. Um, Arsenal sat off and they got killed. Um, they got picked off and... Um, I think our defence is better than Arsenal's defence, um, partly because we have a better goalkeeper than Arsenal. <laughs> uh, and, um, uh, and perhaps we could do that. But um, I think I agree with what you were saying, Andy. I think we have to go for the jugular. We have to put their defence under pressure. Um, no, we're not going to necessarily be able to score 7-2. I think if we, I think if we go... In with that 4-4-3 formation that can't create any chances against Fulham, can't create any chances against the likes of uh, Newcastle, can't create any chances against Tottenham, who also we saw at the weekend with their defeat, their their draw with Newcastle were also a bit dodgy. Then we have no prayer playing that 4-4-3 without Jack Grealish um, in against Liverpool. So um, I would probably go for a, a 3-5-2, maybe bring in Hawes, Konza Mings Hawes across the back, cash and target your win-backs to kind of negate the threat of um, Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, Nakamba and Louise in midfield, uh, and then John McGinn as that eight and a half that we were talking about. He can with he can then really solidify the midfield. And then I'd, I'd probably go up, I probably maybe wouldn't start Keenan Davis, um, but maybe start Trezeguet and Watkins together. Um, and they can both be kind of the little waspish forwards who are... Con- can both they can go both go either side and exploit those gaps left by when Trent and Robertson go bombing on, and we've got then McGinn or one of them to play and, and exploit those those spaces in behind. But I think if we play that if we play that stupid four four three again without Jack Grealish, we'll get killed, and rightly so, and and deservedly so because it just doesn't work without Grealish. You saying three five two against Liverpool just gave me flashbacks to Chris Hurd starting centre back against him in the Lambert era. So that's that's just my own personal <laughs> demons coming out there. We've had some that. references today. We've had uh, Waddle. We've had Mark Draper. Now Chris Hurd. There you go. All the classics. <laughs> the best players. Bakuna but. got a mention. Uh, Richardson. I need. I have yeah. to think of a more of, uh, obscure Villa players. <laughs> a lot of the Liverpool game is going to rest on Watkins' shoulders for me. I think he, when we beat him 7-2, I think that's possibly his best game in a Villa shirt, apart from the Arsenal game. He, his pressing was superb in that game, absolutely superb, and he got the goals he deserved. He's not been the same player for for much of this season, and again, understandably, we've talked about his minutes, um, but I, I think he's the key to any result against Liverpool. If he can push them and push them high like he did in the 7-2, we have a chance. But if not, it'll be like Chris Hurd starting against Liverpool under Paul Lambert. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, yeah, the, the, I, I, I was wondering whether to watch it. I'm, I, I might not now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 
No, so guys, uh, as we always do, let's finish with predictions. Craig? Uh, if we play 4-3, we'll lose 3-0, and we'll deserve to lose 3-0. I think if we play a 3-5-2 or 4-4-2, I think we'll lose 2-1. <laughs> or maybe, <laughs> I think we'll still lose, but I think it'll be closer, and, or maybe we'll sneak a 2-2 draw. I think you have to go for this Liverpool team. Their defence is ropey. Trent doesn't track back. Uh, you know, we, we've seen that, def- that attacking-wise, Trent is magnificent defensively. He uh, can be got at, particularly in one-on-one situations. So I think, and you can always get him behind him because he's, you know, he's, he's. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Trent. I think you have to, unlike Manchester City, I would never try and go toe-to-toe with Man City because they will kill you 8-0. Uh, Liverpool won't. So I think we go for them. We try and score and um, see if we can squeak a draw. But um, probably it's going to be a Liverpool win um, no matter what, unfortunately. Yeah, I think if... If Jack starts, so you almost need to do a prediction with Jack or without Jack, it's that important. But I think if Jack starts and we we go for the juggler, I can see us getting something out of it. I don't think Jack will start and I don't see us approaching the game. I'm just feeling bad about this one. I I kind of would say we're going to lose 3-0. And that's a conservative, conservative prediction. I'm just not feeling good about this one. I hope I'm wrong. I desperately hope I'm wrong. But I feel like it might be a, a bad afternoon of viewing. Okay, well, I'm going to um, add a bit of light into the darkness um, and I'm going to say that I don't think Jack Grealish will play, but I think we'll get a 2-2 draw. Um, I see it being quite a, an end-to-end sort of competitive game, really, and I think, uh, I think yeah, I think the, 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 the win on Sunday will have... Um, will have Pep the lads up a little bit and they'll be, they'll be flying into that game and I think, I think we might see... Um, a reasonable performance and a and a, and a creditable um, scoring draw, but um, th- thanks guys as ever for for joining us. Good to good to get the the band back together today, and uh, really enjoyed the discussion, particularly after a win. I think it's your guys' first podcast after a win, so this is uh, this is new ground we're breaking here. Um, thanks to everyone for listening as well. If you do want to follow us on social media, um, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram um, under Gaslit Lamp. And obviously, um, uh, you can head to the website for all the content there. The, some really good writing, as ever, um, regarding the first team, the academy, and the Villa women. Um, so just head up to undergaslitlamp.com for all that. Um, other than that, um, we'll see you next week. Hope you stay safe and up the villa.